CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. PQB is the official podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter McCulley. Josie Osborne is the MLA for Mid-Island Pacific Rim and is currently the Minister of Energy Mines and Low Carbon Innovation. She served as the mayor of Tofino prior to being elected MLA and has lived there for more than 20 years. Thanks for joining us today, Josie. It's really great to be here. You describe yourself as a pragmatic optimist, Star Trek fan, ocean lover, dog walker, loves riding a bike. My wife will chuckle when I tell you that you had me at Star Trek fan. Awesome. (laughs) Who's your favorite? Captain Janeway, without a doubt. Of course, yes. I think mine would have to be Patrick Stewart. I understand that, but yeah, Captain Janeway, she's my fave. So eloquent. They both are. Yes, that's true. You grew up on Vancouver Island? I did. I grew up in central Saanich, up in Saratoga Beach, just north of Courtney, and then finished high school in Nanaimo. What is the geographical area of Mid-Island Pacific Rim? What areas does it take in? Mid-Island Pacific Rim, the riding is like a belt across the middle of Vancouver Island. So we take in Tofino and Eucluet and down to Bamfield and Dididat, over through the Alberni Valley into Coombs, Arrington, up around Dashwood, Qualicum Bay, Fanny Bay, Union Bay, Royston, Cumberland, and then Denman and Hornby Islands. Wow, lots yeah. of driving. Lots of driving and lots of beautiful places to visit. Are the issues the same wherever you go for the most part? There are issues, I think, that are common to all communities and all people and families across British Columbia, but there are also a lot of differences between places. And the struggles that places like the Alberni Valley faces might be different than, say, Tofino or Hornby Island. But really, I think what it comes down to is that all people are looking to live good lives, and they want good-paying jobs, be able to support their families, and do it in a way where they know they're leaving a a good legacy for their children and grandchildren. And so we look at things like housing, the impacts of climate change on local infrastructure. These are issues that all communities are facing, but then there's the differences. You studied marine biology at UBC and moved to Tofino for a position as a fisheries biologist. In 2022, you were named by the Premier Fisheries Minister, and when that was announced, I thought, It's not often that you find a minister in a portfolio where they have some life experience. It's true. It was a a really fortunate position, and I really, truly loved it. That work really matched my experience and background in resource management, working with First Nations. And since 1998, I've been working alongside or, or at least in some kind of partnership with different resource industries and First Nations. Fish farming is, is an area that I have a lot of experience working around. The fish farms have been in the news lately on Vancouver Island, and the federal government has said they want to phase out the practice, and despite various court challenges, are not renewing some of the licenses. While the province has said they're taking steps to transition to a sustainable industry, perhaps you could update us on what's happening on the provincial front. First and foremost, it's really important to acknowledge that I think everybody, the fish farming industry, First Nations, communities, people across BC really value and treasure wild salmon. And people are taking so many steps to restore and protect and conserve fish habitat, bring back populations after decades of some destructive practices that we've seen. And we have a lot of work to do there. 
The fish farming industry has been around in Clackwood Sound, where I live, for you know 30 years or more, and has gone through an incredible amount of transition. When I first arrived in Tofino, it was an extremely controversial activity, and there were a number of different farms, and they've, over the years, come together and, and coalesced into just two main companies. And the relationships between local residents and between First Nations and the industry were really strained. There's been an incredible amount of work done since then, but I think people still remain very concerned about the state of wild salmon. The province has worked hard to, through wild salmon strategy and implementing that, through a coastal marine strategy that's being developed right now to help make better decisions about how lands and waters are used to conserve species and to create good jobs for people. And in this time, we're waiting for the federal government to make decisions. We know that the new federal minister of fisheries and oceans has a transition plan for the industry before her. The province has been very clear that First Nations and communities have interests in the industry. First Nations especially need to be able to be a strong part of that decision. And they're making decisions for what they think is right for their economy. And the federal government needs to take that into account. So depending on the the conversation or the, the decisions that the minister will make, We want to see that people and their livelihoods are protected and that the federal government has a comprehensive plan for that transition. So the province will continue to do everything that we can to support workers and people and families as they may have to change their living. But first and foremost, we really want to see that comprehensive plan. Do you suppose life will ever get back to normal on Highway Number 4? The construction project at Kennedy Lake has been ongoing, and this past summer, of course, we had the wildfires closing the highway at Cameron Lake. Life back to normal. I was looking at the Ministry of Transportation's social media channel, and they play these little videos sometimes of what the roads were like in the 20s or the 40s or the 50s around the island. It's always been difficult on Vancouver Island, I think. We're building roads on top of former logging roads, and we've got mountainous territory. It's a really challenging place to build a highway and a road. I think folks on the West Coast and the Alberni Valley, they're tough and resilient, and they understand that storms can happen or the road might close with a tree coming across it for a few hours. But what happened this summer was not like anything we had seen before. And seeing that road close for two and a half weeks really impacted people and families. So I'm grateful to the firefighters and the engineers and the scalers who went up and they did all of the work to as quickly as possible return that road to first single lane alternating traffic and then to double lane traffic. But I'm also glad that immediately we were able to use the relationships we have with First Nations and with the forest industry to open up the Cowichan Lake detour and make sure that was safe for people to travel. We're going to stay really focused on making sure that Highway 4 is safe and reliable, but it's also really important to know that we have emergency access. The Ministry of Transportation is committed to doing a review of the the accesses in and out of the Alberni Valley so that we know goods can continue to flow, that people can continue to access healthcare, get out to see their families, and know that in this time of what I'd call climate turbulence, that we have as safe and resilient a possible transportation system. You mentioned the review. First and foremost, the Vancouver Island does not have many alternate routes for many communities. There's one way in, one way out. Do you suppose there will ever be a plan for getting around some of those problem areas, like the Malahat, for instance? It's a really good question, and the ministry is always open to looking at alternate routes. We do have a system of industrial roads and forest service roads that can provide emergency routes when we need them. 
But the Malahat is a great example, and the number of projects and the amount of work that's taken place to really improve the safety and reliability of the Malahat, I think we've all seen evidence of, of that over the past years. There was a review that was taken for a detour route that could be activated in the event of, of an emergency or a, an incident on the Malahat. But we also heard from residents around the Capital Regional District about their serious concerns about creating a new road going through community watersheds and through the local environment. So our focus is going to remain on safety improvements to those primary routes, but again, working with communities, working with businesses, working with First Nations to understand where those secondary emergency routes can be located. I haven't had a chance to try it out yet, but I understand the road to Bamfield was recently chip-sealed. The road to Bamfield has just been chip-sealed, and in fact, it was just a few weeks ago that there was a celebration of this incredible project, which is really being characterized as a reconciliation project. This is a road that goes out to Anakla, the ancient home of the Hawaii First Nation in Bamfield, where there are also a couple hundred of residents living out there. And for years, forever, they've been living with an industrial road that has had serious issues. And, and unfortunately, we've seen some very tragic loss of life there. The Hawaii First Nation has been so strong in their advocacy for increasing the reliability and safety of that road. So they approached the province. The province stepped up and partnered with them, contributing $25 million towards that project. I've just had the chance to drive it myself. I've been traveling out to Bamfield for 30 years, and it's incredible. It's smooth, there's no dust, it's less noisy, and you just feel safer. The loss in tourism revenue for the area west of Coombs this past summer while the highway was closed would have been a significant hit. What can the provincial government do in that kind of a case to help out businesses that have been impacted? First and foremost, we worked really hard to establish a detour route as quickly as possible because we know just how important the supply chain is for businesses to be able to get the things that they need in, but also to export their products out. That being said, seeing the road close for two and a half weeks was really difficult for local businesses. We're really grateful to partnerships with Tourism Vancouver Island or 4VI with the Hotel Association, with the BC Restaurant Association, and the work we've done to be able to promote and continue to profile the West Coast and the Alberni Valley as a tourism destination, really encouraging people to come back as quickly as they could. We're lucky that it's such a beautiful place. People do want to come back, and, and they certainly have, and we certainly have seen that in Tofino. But that doesn't make up for the loss, I think, when, in a time when businesses are really gearing up and summer is such an important time. So we're going to continue to see that kind of support for the restaurant associations, the dine-out programs that we've seen around BC and on the West Coast. And we're going to continue the work with tourism associations to make sure that people understand that this is an accessible place and a place to come. But I want to also just touch on some of the work that groups like Community Futures Development Corporation do to support businesses. And one of the biggest learning lessons I think we're seeing now with these climate-related weather impacts and changes with smoke and with wildfire and with loss of access is the importance of that continuity planning for businesses, for building the resiliency. It's difficult for the small business world when these things happen. And I'm just so grateful that Community Futures has really stepped up to support businesses that way. Our MP, Gord Johns, is such a strong advocate for small business as well, and so lobbying to extend the SIBA loan repayment period, small things like that, but they can make a really big difference. Josie, one of your former portfolios was municipal affairs. What are the biggest challenges facing cities and towns on Vancouver Island, in your opinion, and are they different from those challenges facing cities and towns throughout other parts of British Columbia? 
as a former mayor and having had the privilege of being the Minister of Municipal Affairs, I really have a close and intimate understanding, I think, of what it takes to be part of leadership in small towns particularly, but the responsibilities of local government. Local government is right on the ground, on the front lines of everything, delivering, hearing from residents every single day and making decisions that affect people's lives every day from drinking water and garbage collection to the impacts of climate to providing housing. The things I hear from local governments in our riding, I think are quite similar to that across British Columbia. Core infrastructure services, providing roads, water, sewer, garbage, the cost of those services, and then fairly taxing properties and setting those values so that those costs can be covered. And the impacts of climate change and the cost of infrastructure, and that's a big pressure on municipalities and regional districts. So I hear a lot about the infrastructure gap, if you will, the deficit that municipalities are facing. Municipalities really care deeply about the places where they live and knowing that people need housing, that they need good mental health and health care services. You know, these are things I think that weigh really heavily on the minds of local government officials and the partnership with the province, being able to work with a government that can come in with the regulatory supports that local governments need, like we've just seen with the introduction of new short-term rental regulations, for example, lifting some of the heavy weight off of local government to be able to better regulate and provide more housing for people, but then also partnering in infrastructure funding and being able to deliver those wastewater treatment plants, the water treatment plants, the things that people really rely on every single day. Now, your current portfolio is the Minister of Energy Mines and Low-Carbon Innovation, and we're seeing more and more electric cars. We know we'll need more charging stations. I read somewhere that 10% of the country's electric vehicles are in Vancouver. People are building smart homes, technologies everywhere. We're becoming more and more dependent on electricity. Is the province ready for electrification? We are ready for electrification, and we are going to get even more ready. BC Hydro recently announced that they will be putting out a call for power in spring 2024, looking for about 3,000 megawatts to add to BC's electricity grid, our clean electricity grid. We've got Site C that will be coming online soon, and that's another 1,100 gigawatt hours coming to British Columbia. These are important sources of electricity because we know record numbers of people are making the switch to electric vehicles. They're putting in electric heat pumps into their homes. And these are things that people are doing because they care about the climate and they know they want to be part of the solution and, and take action that way. Hydro has an integrated resource plan. They're always looking forward to what's going to be needed. That work is well underway. We've also struck a BC Hydro task force. That's a group of provincial government officials together with BC Hydro, an Indigenous expert, some outside energy experts to help us in accelerating this plan for electrification. I was interested to read that in that 10% figure of electric vehicles in the country being centered in Vancouver, 12% was in Montreal. Quebec is fast and furious on BC's heels. Right now, British Columbia has the highest rate of adoption of electric vehicles. There are one in five vehicles, small light-duty vehicles today that are being sold are zero-emission vehicles. We're in a bit of a race, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How about a speed round of questions? Sure. What are you reading right now? And I'm not referring to the stack of minister's <laughs> notes that you brought with you. What do you read in general? I read a lot of nonfiction. I like to read heavily into whatever responsibility I have right now. So as a minister of energy and mines and low-carbon innovation. I'm actually reading John Valence's Fire Weather. 
I just finished reading that and we yeah. interviewed him on oh, one of our podcasts. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I've just started it. And I have to say, like, even the first few pages, extremely sobering. The account of people and what they go through when they need to flee an area because of a wildfire approaching their town. So I'm already riveted by this book and getting into it. Yeah, it's over 500 pages and I found it hard to put down. Took up a whole weekend. It's a great read. Did you have a chance to read Bob McDonald's The Future Is Now? I have not, but I've heard him talk about it on the radio and uh, I'll put it on my reading list. It's a very good book. It creates a lot of questions, Mm. I think. Your favorite thing to cook? My favorite thing to cook are curries and dolls. I really love South Asian foods, making South Asian foods. Sounds good. Favorite thing when someone else is cooking? My husband's signature dish is a lemon spinach prawn pasta, and it is incredible. Sounds good. Maybe we should head out to a restaurant right after this, (laughs) (laughs) or at least to your place. Yeah. Get a a plate of that. How many trips do you figure you've made between Victoria and Tofino since you were elected? When I was first elected, it was COVID, so we didn't do as many trips back and forth, but it's really accelerated now. Three years of being an MLA, let's say 30 trips, so closing in on 100. Uh huh. You mentioned that it's a pretty wide swath across the mid-island portion that your riding contains. How long does it take you to drive from Tofino to Cumberland? It takes about three hours and 15 minutes. And what do you listen to when you're on the road? I'm hoping you're saying podcasts. I do. I listen to energy podcasts. I listen to Stephen Fearing, who's one of my favorite Canadian musicians of all time. Sometimes I just like to listen to some good 1980s pop and kind of put myself back in high school and (laughs) sing along. (laughs) How tall is David Eby? The premier is six foot seven. He is very tall. And you may not know this. He had the events team at the legislature developed a special podium for the premier because when we do announcements, there's a number of us usually involved and there'll be people of different heights. But it's nice to have your reading notes quite close to you. We call it the explodium, but it's the podium (laughs) that actually rises. And when you step up to it, it'll lower. And when he steps up to it, it raises. And it's a marvelous invention. (laughs) (laughs) Last time you were on a surfboard? Oh, it would be pretty much... About 18 months ago, and that was only the second time in my life. Mm-hmm. The fact is, I don't surf. This never bit me. But you hike. Best I place, do. Best place to hike? Well, you know, in Tofino at home, the best place I always think to hike is just simply the beaches. It's maybe not much of a hike because it's flat. But there are so many beautiful trails in Pacific Rim National Park Reserve as well. So a lot of those are my favorites. Now, with my travel up and down to Victoria, I often will stop at Cathedral Grove, or I'll stop at Little Qualicum Falls and go for a walk in one of those beautiful BC parks. What's the biggest challenge facing the provincial government? One of the most important things we can do in government is creating all the conditions for people to thrive. One of our biggest challenges will be always that hard work that needs to be done to lift people up, to make sure they have the housing they need, access to health care, mental health, uh, all the services that people really need. Living in communities that are safe, good jobs, prosperous, ability to take care of their families in this time of global instability and seeing the effects of climate change, really doing everything we can to ensure that people are resilient, that they have neighborhood and community connections, living in resilient communities and thriving. Thanks for being with us today, Josie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Josie Osborne is the MLA for Mid-Island Pacific Rim. 
That's this edition of PQB. If you have comments or suggestions, you'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know.